what will your future look like? The job you do today could be different than the jobs of tomorrow. Some see this as a challenge. At UCF, we see opportunity. A chance for you to grow your knowledge and strengthen your skills from anywhere life might take you. With in-demand degree programs and resources for your success, UCF Online can help you prepare for the future and all the possibilities that come with it. From the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning, I am Tom Cavanaugh. And I am Kelvin Thompson. And you are listening to TopCast, the teaching online podcast. Hi, Kelvin. Hey, Tom. Here we are on a rainy summer afternoon here in Central Florida. We are, we are deep into our summer weather patterns where we have a daily afternoon rainstorm. Although, I'm going to tell you, I don't know how it was for you yesterday, but um, daily rainstorm is one thing, but I had a monsoon hit yesterday when I was working remotely. <laughs> like, there's branches falling, and I think a tree went down uh, like a block away. I, I, I don't know if it was that way everywhere, but so right before that, we have a new, a new team member joining us from out of state, and uh, she hasn't transitioned here yet, and... Uh, you know, we said something about, uh, you know, rain's coming, and she looked a little apprehensive, like, there's a lot of storms in Florida, right? Yeah, but you get used to the, the storms. Storms are different than hurricanes, right? Those are two different things. Let's not, there's not an alligator that's going to be on your yard, and there's not going to be a hurricane every afternoon, except that then there was this monsoon. <laughs> I thought, what in the world? But today, a little rainstorm's okay. Little one, yes, little that's one. right, that's right. Down well, trees cool. is something different. Uh, what would be an appropriate beverage to drink on a rainy <laughs> afternoon, I wonder? Uh, I'm, I'm in favor of coffee. Coffee sounds great. Fortunately, Hot I coffee. have some. Hot coffee. My friend and colleague, Kelvin Thompson, has recently poured for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If only I knew what I was drinking. There's no way to know. You could ask. <gasps> I'd rather guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be entertaining. Yeah, you can go ahead and guess. Yeah. it'll be a longer episode than normal that way. <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll just try to guess the connection. Maybe we'll do that. You know, that that'll yeah, you might need some of that. Um, yeah, I'm using my new um, one of my my newest coffee mug. I think is uh, from uh, down at Universal Studios Florida. That that chocolate place. The oh, I've been chocolate there. emporium. Yeah. yeah, that's good. It's like it's really Willy Wonka. Punk. Yeah, it's cool. I like the steampunk vibe. And yeah, it is. It's very steampunk. Yeah. This is, this is, I don't know if you can tell, it has that kind of golden chocolate hue to the outside of it. So I'm trying to now imagine, you know, chocolate notes in the coffee. I don't know that they're cacao maybe, but not so much, uh, yeah. not so much yeah. chocolate. Not really. Today's coffee, though, is a single origin Costa Rica from Bones Coffee Company in Cape Coral, Florida. We've had coffees We've had from before. Yeah. Bones, but they're always flavored. This one, not flavored. Um, so this is an actual single origin. And this coffee, besides that, is notable because I got it thanks to producer Tim's heads up on a great discount, which just makes me think that, after all, he is independently wealthy and is just doing this, uh, you know, this video and audio production thing just because he loves it because, you know, it's Bones Coffee Company and, you know, some people have a nickname Bones. Because so, he's the one who told me about it. I'm like, well, how do you know about it? about it, but I, I got a really good deal on the coffee. Uh, so personal recommendations are a powerful 
thing, as it turns out. So thanks to, to Tim for the, the heads up on this. I like it. What do you think of the coffee? No, I like it too. Yeah, it's good. I, and I uh, how's the connection to today's episode? All right. So kind of you made a point of saying personal recommendations are kind of powerful. So yes. that's got to mean something. It's, it's not in there by accident, I don't think. <laughs> Nothing so ever is. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking that's probably part of the connection. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that, that, does, that does come up in the interview uh, today a little bit. So uh, I'm yeah. going to hang my hat on, on that big fat breadcrumb you left me. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's where I was going. That's what I was thinking because, uh, like you said, it'll, it's uh, at least a point, if not a theme, that um, there's power in faculty, faculty, Faculty to, to faculty, faculty to faculty dialogue. Uh, there's power in that in terms of fostering adoption of online teaching and other teaching innovations. So, I, you know, I sometimes have said that faculty talking to faculty about teaching and learning is is the only faculty development that really is. Anything beyond that's just facilitation. I think so. So yeah. we'll so we'll see. Yeah, good good picking up the breadcrumb <laughs> on our way to the the chocolate house where there might be somebody. Putting ready to put you in a oven. That was a, that okay, was a Gretel thing. I didn't see that at Universal, but uh, maybe that's part of the new Hansel Gretel that's land. Right. Or that'll be that'll be the 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 fairy tale horror section. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, <laughs> right Universal. next to Seuss Landing will terrify all the kids. You, know? <laughs> you thought it was G, and turns out not to be. <laughs> Well, That's thank right. you. Uh, yes. Thank you, Tim, for the recommendation. And thank you, Kelvin, for pouring me a, a cup. Um, so uh, should I should I kind of bring us around Please. to the bring, to the reason why that is a around. connection? So, Kelvin, get mm-hmm. back into the, the Wayback Machine here. Um, oh. Way back in, in 2019 at OLC it. Accelerate, mm-hmm. uh, you interviewed Dr. Julie Mendez. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this? I do. Dr. Mendez is a clinical assistant professor and program director in the Division of Mechanical Engineering at Indiana University, Purdue University, Columbus, IUPUC. In addition to her disciplinary scholarship, Dr. Mendez has also published and presented on topics related to course design and teaching in a digital learning context, which is why Mm -hmm. she was at OLC Accelerate. so first apologies to her for waiting this long <laughs> to get the interview. This, I think, is our last one that, that we uh, owe apologies to. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, do you want to say anything about the, uh, about the conversation before we, we go in the, the podcast time machine? Sure. Perhaps I'll maybe further place this interview in context a, a little bit. At the time of recording this interview, we had already prepared episode 56 which was the last mile getting STEM online. And there's a kind of a reference to the recent episode about STEM uh, in the interview. So that's what that's referring to, episode 56. And in episode 56, we promised to gather some additional perspectives because, you know, we're just a couple of online education professionals talking about STEM education. I teach technical writing. I teach English. That's right. I teach educational technology um, and instructional design kind of stuff. So we we promised we'd get some additional perspectives. And we did hear from Dr. Ewan Lindsay in episode 66 titled Curricular Innovation, Engineering, and Adaptive Learning. But honestly, much of the past year plus has been focused on remote instruction. And 
while we have spoken multiple times over the past 16 months about the possible STEM-related benefits of remote instruction, maybe, maybe this is a particularly good time to talk about taking advantage of the ubiquity of online tool use by STEM faculty as we all emerge from remote instruction and think seriously about opportunities for more hybrid or blended and online STEM courses. So in this pre-pandemic interview, Dr. Mendez speaks from her perspective as an engineering professor practiced in blended design and teaching, and you'll hear that she values the individual perspectives of other engineering and STEM faculty and is kind of loath to advocate for one-size-fits-all approaches to persuade colleagues to engage in digital teaching and learning. So that's, that's my contextualization of the, of the interview. Great. Uh, that helps. Thank you. So thanks to the magic of podcast time travel, here's your interview with Dr. Mendez. Hi, Julie. Good to have you on TopCast. Hi. Um, I'm excited to talk to you today. Oh, people aren't usually excited. They're, they're resistant, uh, perhaps um, reluctant, but not often excited. So, <laughs> so that's, that's good. Uh, this was a uh, a great uh, serendipitous uh, kind of an opportunity to have a, an interview. Uh, we were talking recently about uh, STEM and online, and we've done a recent episode on that topic in uh, in TopCast. And you're a STEM faculty member, and you're engaged with online and blended or hybrid course design. And I thought, what a great person to kind of give a from the discipline kind of perspective on this question. So do you mind if I just ask first to just to comment on to what extent you have seen or not seen a, a disconnect between STEM and online or blended? It does seem like there's some perceptions that it's more difficult to put a, um, a STEM class in an online format, but I, I think we're definitely seeing a lot more people move making courses um, online or in a hybrid format. Um, and I'm more, most familiar with what's going on in engineering. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Why, uh, why do you think it is perceived as difficult to put, say, we'll just say engineering courses online? Um, so one concern is about the courses that have labs um, and some of the things about labs, um, some of it is that we really need to have the hands-on um, aspect of it, um, in addition to helping reinforce some of the concepts that get covered in other lecture courses. Um, so, so being able to actually touch the equipment and think about maybe what went wrong in the experiment and being able to explain some of that, I think that really a lot of times needs the, the in-person experience. And I think another uh, challenge has to do with a lot of the courses that have a lot of equations and solving longer problems. It may be a little more challenging to, um, or, or people may perceive that it's more challenging to put that into a video or in some other mm. um, online format. But there's, there's a lot of technology tools that are making that easier. Mm -hmm. Now you've engaged it seems like to me from talking before uh, a lot more perhaps in hybrid or blended approaches. Are you, do you think hybrid or blended lend themselves better to engineering than online purely? 
does? Possibly. I think I, there are definitely online, cor- fully online courses sure. being offered. I haven't um, participated in one. I guess I've been a little hesitant to uh-huh. go totally into that. Um, and and I like interacting with my students in person, yeah. too. So that blended best of both worlds thing really holds some appeal to you. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just for you personally, is it the is it the hands on uh, thing or is it just the lack of uh, looking into the eyes of your students in the classroom that makes you personally a little reluctant to the fully online? Um, I think it is the being able to interact with students in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to do a lot of uh, active learning mm-hmm. type things in class and be able to see right when the students are working on a problem what part of it they're struggling with and be able to help correct it right then. And one of the challenges I've been experiencing in doing the online portion of the the hybrid courses is everything taking a little bit longer. So if they turn something in, I can see um, maybe where there's a, a common error. It's not, I can't talk to them in real time as easily mm-hmm. to be able to get them to try again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let me ask this maybe a different kind of way. Given what you just talked about, why even do blended or hybrid? What's the what's the pull into into that world for you as opposed to just doing just a regular face to face class? Well, in in my experience, um, sometimes there's just the scheduling issue. Um, I teach a lot of courses, um, and I'm in a small department, so we have a couple of faculty members also teaching a lot of courses, um, and I'll, and I'll. Nearly all the courses we're teaching are required in the program, so being able to get everything scheduled in so that all the students can take all their required courses, um, sometimes that's challenging um, with students who maybe are working during the day and want to have classes at night, but then maybe they're students that don't want to have classes at night because they've got family responsibilities. Um, so it gives a little bit more flexibility when we have less um, seat time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's certainly a, um, something we hear commonly from students, especially less so-called uh, traditional-aged uh, college students, especially schedule flexibility. But it's interesting, schedule flexibility for the faculty also is is uh, is an appeal in uh, in your context. So that's that's kind of cool. Um, in a past episode that we did, when Tom and I talked about. Um, kind of the STEM online slash blended disconnect, um, we commented on the potential lack of intentional design sometimes in, we might call it purely face-to-face courses. I just wonder if you have some thoughts about that. I, you know, from what I've uh, been able to determine like some of your uh, work, you've been very much into intentional course design. I, I just wonder what comments you would make about course design and modality. Do you think um, do you think face-to-face courses don't get as much intentional course design broadly and that's you see more of it in blended and online or do you think it's just it's just simply a matter of the individual and how do we how do we 
How do we foster more intentional design, regardless of modality? That was a long and sprawling question, but I hope you get the, the gist of it. Yeah, that is a big question. Um, so I think it sort of depends on modality, but sort of depends on the person. Um, I know when I first was uh, learning about online or hybrid and um, doing some training with Quality Matters, mm -hmm. um, I was really struck um, by how there's not necessarily, um, in a face-to-face -face course, there's not necessarily like a, a list of things that you should be doing to design the, well, of course there's things you should be doing to design the course well, but it's like not until we move into an online where we need to check the quality of it. Mm -hmm. um, and so obviously there are a lot of people who care a lot about their intentional course design in a face-to-face -face course. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm not sure that I covered everything in your question. Let me, let me try this. Um, I some, I'm, just, I'm gonna throw this out there and see if you agree or, or not or what kind of, how you might resonate with it. I sometimes say that online makes the implicit more explicit. And I, I thought I heard you kind of going that direction as well with intentional design that when you're walking into a face-to-face -face setting, apart from say the syllabus um, or any other um, formal course documents that you might uh, pass out or distribute digitally, so much is intangible. And you know, you've, you've got a plan in your head or you've got some notes uh, about what you want to accomplish. But when you're dealing with online courses or to a lesser extent blended, the, the intentions are a, a lot more uh, crystallized. They're made more explicit, you know, in materials. So I wonder if that is, um, I see you nodding some, I wonder if that lines up with your thinking of, of intentional design. Do you think, do you think the modality um, kind of pulls you along toward more intentional design and hybrid and, and online and it's more of a challenge face-to-face? -face? And if so, what can we do about that? That's another sprawling question. Right. Um... Yeah, so I'm I'm definitely agreeing about in lo in online we need to make everything more explicit. Um, you know, be very careful about how the directions are worded. Um, maybe even make videos of showing where to click mm -hmm. on things in the learning management system. I don't know. I found that when I've kind of learned how to be more explicit, then that does help inform how I um, teach in the face-to-face -face environment. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think there's some things, you know, we can, we can learn about how we approach online course design and, and apply it to our, our face-to-face -face classes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, um, I don't know, I've never really done this, but you know, I, I hear that, you know, some people, uh, train by running with lead weights and then they take the lead weights off and then they're like, wow, I am, I am light as a feather as I'm out here running. And so... Uh, maybe there's something to that, like go through the exercise of designing um, an online or blended course and then um, taking some of those principles and spilling back over into the face-to-face -face context. Maybe that wouldn't be a bad training regimen. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, within your own context or just within your field, what kind of I hate to frame it uh, negatively like this, but what kind of resistance to online do you encounter from folks who haven't done online or blended at all? Is there like a, 
just a hesitancy to it? Is it just a concern for the lab component in general? When, when someone is poised right there thinking, I might try that or not, what do you think that tips people away from it? I think sometimes it's um, being, a, being a reluctant or unsure about technology mm-hmm. or maybe thinking that doing an online course means we need to, be, to use a lot of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and another issue I think is just um, sometimes people aren't familiar at all with online courses, um, so they're, they're not sure if, if the quality is the same as, mm-hmm. as what's going on in the face-to-face class. So I think those are a couple yeah. concerns that I see. Do you um, do you find yourself um, seeking to address those concerns when they come up? I mean, like, what do you say to colleagues who broach the quality question? Well, I, I think it kind of goes back to um, what we were talking about with learning how to do an online course helps um, you learn how to be more intentional about course design. Mm-hmm. Um, so there really are some opportunities to really make a good course in that modality. Mm-hmm. And identifying some of those um, uh, specific attributes and, and so forth in course design. Yeah, oh, that, makes, that makes sense. Really appreciate you joining us uh, today for TopCast and getting a uh, from the, the field kind of response to our prior episode and um, as we start to wrap up, I just, um, I haven't asked you this and I should, like how did you personally get drawn into like this explicit emphasis on course design and quality matters, given what we've talked about of, you know, it's uh, not always something that's um, pursued in uh, the field of engineering. How did you find your way into that? So when I was at, um, in a previous job, um, I think this was a lot around the time when MOOCs were kind of big and so there was some concern about um, that we need to be putting more stuff online Um, so that was when I first uh, learned about quality matters and first taught a hybrid course Um, and then more recently it seems like there's always more of a push to try to get more courses online Um, and so um, I've got uh, two courses that I regularly teach um, in hybrid formats. Well, that's so cool. Well, I think uh, it's, it's wonderful to have a colleague in um, STEM broadly and engineering specifically who's doing this work and, and uh, advocating for, uh, for good uh, design and uh, seeking to cross that chasm that we've uh, talked about before. So thanks very much for that work. And thanks for joining us. Okay, thank you. So, Kelvin, that was your interview with Dr. Julie Mendez. Thank you. And uh, again, apologies to Dr. Mendez for taking that long to finally to finally get her interview uh, on the show. Yes, uh, indeed. Uh, agreed. Yeah, uh, that was. And I think it's it's so important, right, to to engage with our faculty colleagues who are sometimes unsung, who are teaching in digital formats, um, fully online, reduced seat time, blended. Um, they're folks who have been innovating in that space, and we don't always give them enough credit, right? So uh, building on their 
expertise as we seek to make further inroads into STEM disciplines as digital learning professionals, I think is really important. Yeah, and you know, one of the things you you touched on in your conversation with her was about the kind of these misperceptions, misconceptions mm-hmm, mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. You know, how hard it is to do STEM online, and that is a conventional wisdom, and there there may be some truth in it, but uh, but I think it, in some ways it's a bit of a cop out mm-hmm. because I mean, as she's proven, you can do some stuff online, and and uh, I think we've both seen uh, even before the pandemic that. There are virtual labs and other oh, yeah. kinds of things that I mean as long as you're not teaching psychomotor skills, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. if it's more knowledge based, these virtual labs are highly effective, mm-hmm. and you can be infinitely uh, mistake prone. <laughs> you're not like blowing something up mm-hmm. or breaking some piece of equipment uh, or um, wasting uh, chemicals and resources. You can kind of have infinite supplies to try things. You could be a lot more. I don't know. Uh, exploratory in mm-hmm. in some of your activities, but post pandemic, yes, um, we were all forced to deal with the idea of virtual labs for everything uh-huh. um, over the past year and a half. And um, I think we've made some believers out of people that might have previously said you can't do that. Um, now they've had to do it, and yeah. um, we've supported them. And at least speaking for UCF, we we had a team that we stood up as sort of a virtual lab task force that just mm-hmm. we put on them as as a tiger team to try and help all the departments. But the truth is, a lot of departments just solve their own problems just by their own ingenuity and creativity. They they came up with all kinds of awesome, like tabletop experiment kind of mm-hmm. solutions that were just really clever. So I, it can be done. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that I think that's an excellent point. And you know, there's there's been a lot of personal experience during this remote instruction era, right? And um, you could say that. Uh, well, I've said often that some things have to be experienced in order to be understood. I think that I've said often, I guess, through the years that that's really kind of true of online and blended teaching and learning. You can talk about it a lot, but until you really kind of get hands-on with it, um, it's just kind of talk. And I think I think Julie makes that, that passing comment in the interview like that as well, that, um, you know, you can, you can talk to colleagues, but until they really get hands-on themselves, and as she really got hands-on herself, um, it only goes so far, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think the the personal experience during the remote instruction era will really help in a lot of ways. I'm a little concerned that it might hurt in some ways um, because maybe there will be misperceptions about what online really is or can be. And I, I think we've talked plenty about, you know, um, working to assure quality as we as we emerge from remote instruction. But I think we we we. We must not diminish uh, the personal experience of many STEM faculty who who may have stretched in their their perceptions of what is possible. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, and and by the same token, um, you know, the, kind of how we we uh, we set up that your interview with your coffee connection that these these personal um, experiences shared with colleagues mm-hmm. so that, that um, they become more secondhand experiences 
um, are are as important. Also, you know, the, we we've learned if no, nothing else here uh, at UCF that uh, uh, colleagues will, or colleagues, uh, faculty will listen to their colleagues yeah. probably before they'll listen to us, That's right? right? If if That's their right. colleague tells them, hey, this thing works really well, they'll be more inclined to to trust the validity of that than if I show up in their office and say, hey, this thing works really well, um, just because, you know, there's a certain level of trust and, and mm -hmm. uh, understanding that, that they've got the same experience. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's, that's good. Well, that might be a, a good place to, to leave it. Uh, shall I try to put all the wheels of the plane neatly on the tarmac? Please do, yeah. We're gonna have to get a pilot's license before long, I think. <laughs> well, or we just we just use the flight simulator. There you go. There you go. That's perfect. See what you I know, did there. Virtual yeah. lab, right there. Yeah. Right. Good. Well yeah. done. Uh, so maybe we'll say, STEM courses have faced challenges going online in the past, but our lessons learned from remote instruction can be filtered through experienced online or blended teaching faculty to lead the way to the future of online and blended STEM education. There you How's go. How's that? Yeah, the plane landed, you know. Any landing you can walk away from is a good one, Kelvin. That's right, so, a, crawl, so. a crawl out of the burning hulk of <laughs> the plane. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we I think we you know mission accomplished there. Okay. So um, you know as long as we're talking about personal recommendations, can can you indulge me a plug? Mm -hmm. So as Please. we said, these word of mouth personal recommendations are powerful. Mm -hmm. My coffee that I'm drinking says so. Um, so let me ask our dear listeners, would, would you please consider telling someone else about Topcast? You might email or text a link to an episode that you particularly liked, or you might just point a colleague to the main TopCast page, which is topcast.online.ucf.edu, topcast.online.ucf.edu, so that they can listen, and if they like it, subscribe. And mm -hmm. they tell a friend, and they tell a friend. Next and thing so you know, on, yeah, and so on. It's network effects. Mm -hmm. So that would be great. We'd appreciate it. Um, yes. And uh, it, you know, if you think there are others out there that are looking for this kind of content. Yep. Cool. So thanks again for the coffee. Thank yep. you, Tim. Uh, thanks to uh, Dr. Julie Mendez. And until next time, for TopCast, I'm Tom. I'm Kelvin. See ya.